it is good to see you all here today. Today we're going to be picking up where we left off uh, last week. We've been on a series entitled uh, Making Life Investments. And one of the main points that I've been making over the last couple of weeks is this, that whether we consciously are aware of it or not, we're always making investments. We're always making investments. We're always making investments into someone, into something, somewhere. We're always pouring out of ourselves. And so today we're going to be picking up where we left off. And there's one area in our lives where we're always making investments. And many times what we're doing the, most, the majority of the times is making withdrawals. And that's in relationships. Relationships. In a perfect world with perfect people, with perfect children, with perfect husbands and perfect wives and perfect parents and perfect employers and perfect friends, we would never have to make relationship investments. We'd only have to make withdrawals. But the truth is that that's not the world that we live in. How many of you can agree with me on that? Go ahead and tell somebody, we're talking some truth today. right? We're really, we're really talking about relationships. Making investments in relationships is one of the hardest things for people because there's never a certainty on the return. Whenever you invest, if you've ever invested in anything, you're always looking for a return or at least some sort of guarantee, some sort of track record that says there's a track record sufficient to give me some level of comfort that I will gain a return over time. Well, in relationships, that's never true. There's never certainty. Why? Because we're people, ladies and gentlemen. We're people. And so relationships are, can be one of the most rewarding, fulfilling, motivating, and life-giving things that we ever invest into. Can we agree with that? How about this? But they can also be one of the most devastating, unstable, unsure, and frustrating things that we ever do as well. See, relationships are important, but they aren't just important, they're necessary. They're necessary. I guarantee you this, that none of us sign, will sign up to go live on an island for ourselves, by ourselves, for the rest of our lives. You might do it for a while, and that might be cool, but I can guarantee you this, we all need people. We all need relationships. Even Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, saw it fit to invest into relationship with 12 men. When Jesus came and started his ministry, Jesus didn't start the Jesus show. He said, hey, you fishermen, come follow me. You tax collector that, that people despise, come follow me. You who will betray me, you thief, you liar, come follow me. Jesus saw it necessary to invest into relationships with men, knowing that they would betray him, knowing that they would uh, abandon him, and knowing that they would deny him eventually. And yet, it was a worthwhile investment. Now, be, lest we get on our high horse and say, yeah, those bad, bad, bad disciples... That's our story, ladies and gentlemen. That's how Jesus saw you and I. And yet, he saw the need, the necessity to invest 
into all humanity. That should serve as a level of comfort, encouragement, and even challenge us. Because the truth is that for some of us, we've given up on some relationships. We've quit on making investments where they count. And so in John 15, 11 through 13, Jesus says this. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Can I ask you all a question? How many of you love Jesus? They just wave at me. If you love Jesus, just give me a little shout or something. You love Jesus? Okay, all right, cool. You love Jesus, right? But watch this. In context, here's what's happening. Jesus is letting them know, I'm leaving. And guess what they're having? A pity party. They're having their little uh, fit. And Jesus says to them this, see, because they, everybody loved Jesus, but Jesus is pointing them to a greater truth. He's saying, love one another. I got to go, but you still have to love one another. And in verse 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this. How many of you want to be loved to the max? How many of you want to love full force? I'm so glad that you said that, because here's the key. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' focus wasn't on himself. Jesus himself said this, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. That was Jesus' job description. That's what, that was his announcement to the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm here, and I came to serve you. What a concept in the midst of relationships. And so his focus wasn't on himself. It was on those that he was in relationship with, with the intention of the impact that it would have in their lives and the lives of others. Let me show you how this works. A person that feels love easily is lovable. They give love easily. They give love freely. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. We've all freely received the love of God, and we can all get excited about that. But the truth is that the love of God is meant to, be, to, to flow through our lives as a channel. And that is to extend to those relationships that we have in our lives. Through the example of Christ, here's what we see. That love is the currency by which we make investments. Love. Love. Can we just be frank here for a moment with ourselves without telling on ourselves? Just consider this. Are your relationships more about you than they are about others? Think about that. Are we approaching relationships from the standpoint of what I get? And you might say, no, Pastor Jose, and praise God, that's not where you're at. But here's a good test to know if that's where you really are. When you don't get what you expect from a relationship, do you get mad? Do you get disappointed? Listen, true love holds no records of wrong. True love lays itself down. True love has no expectation. You know what the only expectation of love is? To love. To serve. 
to give. And in the context of relationships, I want to pose before all of us a question this morning. Do we love that way? And if we don't, then we have to wonder, how is this impacting the relationships that I have? What investments am I making? Today, I'm going to give you a short proof model of how to invest into relationships. So before we jump into this, I want to just revisit the rules that we went over for investing over the last couple of weeks, in the first week, week one of this series. And I want to see, I want us to explore how they apply to people in the relationships that we have. We learned rule number one, that we must invest before we can ever expect a return. Think of it this way. They say it takes money to make money. Well, it takes an investment to reap a return on any investment. If you don't put anything in, you don't get anything out. This is a biblical principle we learned. It's called the biblical, it's called the principle of sowing and reaping. And the Bible says this, don't be fooled. God cannot be mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. What he puts in the ground, he can expect to uh, get a return on to a greater extent. That should encourage us to really consider what am I sowing? Because what I'm sowing, I'm going to get more of it. So you want good relationships, we need to sow good seed. So many people make nominal investments into relationships and expect miracle relationships. We spend no time, but we want to feel loved. We want to be encouraged and supported. We want to feel like we are the center of attention. I am the sun and you revolve around me. But do we sow that to reap that? Do we really sow that to reap that? If you're praying for a miracle in your relationships today, how about starting by sowing the greatest miracle of all, the love that you've received? The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. Love is a byproduct of the love of God. And if that isn't being invested into our lives, if we're not positioning ourselves in a way to receive that, how can we expect to sow it and how much less can we expect to reap it if it's not what we're sowing to begin with? And so we must invest before we can ever expect a return. Rule number two, as we said a couple of weeks ago, was this. The size of our investment will determine our profit margin. You know, they say that in tropical areas where there are harsh storms and where the winds are extremely high, that the strongest trees, the strongest trees that stand do so not because they stand against the wind, but because of their resiliency. Here's what I mean by that. They bend. They're flexible with the storm. When the winds come, guess what they don't do? They don't stand against it. You know what they do? They bend and they sway back and forth. That's what our relationships should look like. That's what relationships require. The investment where, you know what, there is a give, but there's also take. And it should always be more give because you'll take more eventually. And so 
the deeper and larger, the, the other reason why these uh, trees are able to do this in these tropical areas is because they have deep and large roots. They state that, uh, that some trees, that their roots are bigger than the tree themselves. And it's interesting, but isn't it, shouldn't it be that way in terms of our relationships as well? That the greater we go into our relationships, the deeper, the larger the investment, the more this relationship will be able to endure over time. If we could be honest with ourselves, all relationships are challenging. Even in a marriage context, even with our children, even with our BFF, our best friend forever, right? There's always challenges, but the size of our investment will determine our profit, our return. Rule number three that we looked at is this, that we will only benefit from what we invest into. There are so many lonely people in the world today. And for some relationships, uh, for some relationships are largely about what I get out of it. When in reality, it should be what I give into it. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. If we never invest into people, we can never expect a benefit of return in any area of relationships. Any area. So here's what that looks like. Instead of focusing on me, 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 why not focus on the other person? I'll tell you why. Because then it becomes about we. There's a return unto you. Rule number four. The condition of what we invest into will affect our results. Notice that in our opening text today, let's go back uh, to, the, to the first scripture that we had. I want you to notice something here very important. There's a reason why we get less than desirable results in relationships sometimes. I want to point something out to you. Notice what Jesus said. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Watch verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. Listen closely. To lay down one's life for who? One's friends. Let me tell you something about relationships and laying down your life. One of the reasons why we get wrong results in relationships is because we're not laying our life down for who the Bible says. Let me be very clear. The Bible does not say lay down your life for the world. When it comes to relationships investments, that word friends there is extremely important. It's the Greek word philos, which, has, which comes from the root word philio. And it refers to one that is dear, active, friendly. It also speaks in those times when it came to a marriage, you didn't go up to a woman and say, will you marry me? There was someone who was esteemed and so close to you and your family, and it was usually the parents who would go to this counterpart, to the, to the bride-to-be, uh, the one that you were ask, asking their hand in marriage, and they would go and ask for the hand in marriage, but they would also play a big part in bringing that, uh, that marriage uh, to completion and paying for everything. And so when the Bible talks about friends, it's also speaking to one who's equated as one who is so close to the bridegroom and is the person who asks 
for the hand of a bride in marriage. Why is that important to understand? Because when the Bible talks about laying down your life for your friends, it's talking about those that are near and dear and you are in direct relationship with. Tell you why this is so important. Because we have relationships wherever we go. We have work relationships. But that's not your friend, according to Scripture. We have relationship with people that are our neighbor. And it might be a high-by, passing-by relationship. And then somehow we get offended when they don't wave one day. You have no right to get offended because you've sown no seed there. And you shouldn't be sowing that seed there. Now, hear me clearly. I am not saying that you do not share the love of God. I'm not saying that you don't make some personal investment into this person's life. But when the Bible is talking about laying down your life in the midst of a relationship, it's talking about someone who you are in intimate and close relationship with. This is what this looks like in the world today. For some people, they sow more into their work relationships than they do in their own home. And that's why we have so many homes today that are tattered, that are breaking down. We must sow where, we, where, where it's necessary. And the condition of what we invest to will affect our results. We should be sowing in the right ground. And the last rule that we looked at in week one was this, that the invest, investments take time to mature and produce a harvest. Listen, when I first got married, oh, the heavens were open. The sun was always shining. And I, I, I promise you, I heard angels every day when I woke up. Now, we'd been engaged for a while. We were boyfriend and girlfriend for some time, and we were friends before that. But, but you know something? Uh, I thought that we'd arrived. And then I realized I got a lot to learn. You know, I'm still in relationship with my wife. I'm still making investments. And there are still some returns that are yet to come. And there are some returns that I'm reaping today. My point with that is simply this. That relationships take time, ladies and gentlemen. Marriage takes time. Friendships, genuine friendships, take time. Growing as a body of Christ takes time. Can I just confess something to you all? Just from my heart. Please don't hear this as a put down. But I look forward. You know, you know what times I look forward to in service? I don't, I, or while I enjoy and I understand I'm in my calling while I'm here and I'm teaching and preaching and pointing you to the word, I look forward to the times before service and after service. And I would encourage you, I know that we all have schedules, but what would it look like if you took a little extra time just to get here a little bit earlier, just to get to know somebody? Because if there's anyone that we should invest into outside of our personal relationships in our home and with our loved ones, it's in the body of Christ. There's nothing greater and stronger than a community of believers that love one another, serve one another, and build one another. 
And we can't do that if we just come in and go, oh, praise God, worship is on. And you, you arrive and you sit down and you're here. And, and then afterwards you leave and you say hi to the pastor. Maybe you say hi to one or two people and you just walk out. There's no relationship building in that. There's no connection in that. And there's no investment into the body in that. And so I would encourage you, think about that. And so I told you earlier that I was going to give you a sure proof model of what it looks like to make good relationship investments. Are you ready? ready. Gonna tell your neighbor, I'm ready. ready. Tell somebody else, I'm ready. You ready? ready? Listen, I hope you're ready. Because if we're gonna model after anyone, it has to be after Christ. It has to be after Christ. And so the first point that I want to make to you about how Jesus invested into people is this: that he put others before himself. That might sound like what you, some of you might be going, well, duh, pastor, I know that, right? You would think that with all the great examples that we have in Christ that he left us with, that believers today who worship God, that we would grasp this valuable truth. But that's not always the case. Instead, here's kind of what it looks like at It is all about you. Now the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about now I lift my name on high. All 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. No one else All this can for only $19.95. Operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing. And I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1-800-MEET-ME-ME or order online at memyselfandi.com. Call today because no one can praise you like you. <laughs> it's ridiculous to hear someone singing songs of worship unto themselves. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, if we're really honest with ourselves when it comes to relationships, we're usually looking for what I get out of it. And when I don't get what I expect out of it, I'm not happy. That's what it looks like for some of us. Hey, I'm not excluded from this, by the way. Been there, done that, still have to check myself at times. Let's be honest. And so it's not, it's not just how some believers approach relationship today. It's even how we might even approach our relationship with God, where it's God bless me, God do this for me, God serve me, God help me, God me. And that's not a kingdom principle. And so let's look at John chapter 6, verses 35 through 38. Words of Jesus, he says unto them, I am the bread of life. Say that with me. I am the bread of life. Not you, Jesus. 
right? He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so what's interesting is here that in context, when Jesus states that he is the bread of life, I want you to get a picture of what he's talking about. He's talking about my life is for your benefit. My life is for your nourishment. My life is about you. My life isn't about my will. I'm here for what the Father sent me. He sent me to die for a people that would reject me. He sent me to serve a people that would deny me. He sent me to wash the feet of a people that would betray me. And Jesus is literally talking about what he pours into a relationship. He was more interested in giving than taking. Relationships that, re that, that reap the greatest return are focused on others, not self. We should approach relationships that way. You know, maybe you're saying, but this person doesn't deserve it. Well, did we deserve it? Not, not at all. Not at all. See, when you sow love, according to Scripture, love is what you reap. But wait, Pastor, I've been doing that for years. Ask yourself a couple of questions. Have you taken, have you given it time? Two, have you sown the right kind of seed? Are you expecting instead of truly giving love? Number three, are you in relationship with someone that the Bible describes? If we're not, then we're sowing into the wrong ground and expecting the wrong return. Second thing that we see from the life of Jesus is that he loved unconditionally. Can you imagine where we would be as children of God if the love of God was conditional? What would we, where would we be if God's love for us was conditional? If it depended upon what we do, we'd all be in a heap of trouble. See, there would be no relationship. It's easy to understand and expect unconditional love in relationships when it's for our benefit. We can all understand that. Oh, I completely understand unconditional love when we expect it. But the truth is that unconditional love should be something that we give. And we have to wonder, why is it so hard when it comes to giving it? And I believe it's because we live in a conditional world. Everything that, we, that surrounds us is conditional. Jobs are conditional. Your paycheck is conditional upon your performance. Your ability to remain in your home is conditional upon you paying your taxes, paying your mortgage, paying your rent. The relationship that you have with the people that you work with in the school that are, uh, that are teaching your children, it is conditional. Because if you don't do your part as a parent, you cannot expect a return upon how that teacher is investing into your child. So we live in a conditional world. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 says this. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to see something that it is the love of God, God's unconditional love that empowers us. That is what empowers us. And it is that same love that empowers relationships. Relationships. I remember a young man who uh, used to come to the church. He, he lives in Florida now. Uh, when he started coming, uh, this was when we first got started, uh, he came to service. We were at the hotel, and he had a bunch of tattoos, and he had this long sleeve T-shirt, uh, long sleeve shirt. And, uh, and it would be hot. Now, in the, in the uh, hotel, it was cool. But he always had these shirts on. And one day, uh, we, once we got into this building, we, start, we were doing a bunch of cleanup, and he wanted to help. And so we said, sure, come on in. It was all hands on deck. So there were various people that would come in, and Tony would come in, and uh, I remember him saying to me one day, he said, Pastor, is there something wrong with these? And he lifts up his sleeve. And I said to him, what's wrong with them? And he says, well, you know, in the churches that I used to go to, they always told us that tattoos were wrong. And I said to him, well, where does it say that in the word? And naturally, we went to the book of Leviticus, and it talks about people that would mark themselves in reverence to the dead. I said, well, you're doing that to worship uh, pagan practices and the dead people? He says, no. I said, what do those mean to you? He says to me, well, this one's for my mom, and this one's for my kids. And, and I said to him, well, what do you do with Scripture where the Bible says that when Jesus comes on his thigh... On his thighs, it'll say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I'm not saying, hey, go ahead and go get tattoos. Listen, if that's what you want to do, that's your business. But what I want you to see is that this young man was in a conditional state of mind where he believed my acceptance into the body depended upon me hiding my tattoos. I said to him, Tony, you ain't got to do that at all. You are free in Christ. The Bible says that we know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. You are a new creation in Christ. Brother, be free. Where, and, then I, and then I lifted up my I said, look, I got one too. <laughs> and, and so, but it set him free. And unconditional love is so powerful when we can give it without condition. That's the key to unconditional love. We say sometimes we love people unconditionally. We say we love our children unconditionally, but when they act up, we refrain from loving them. How is that scriptural? It's not biblical. And so Jesus exemplified unconditional love, and so should we. Here's another point that I want you to see, is that Jesus saw the value of people separate from their actions. Now, hear clearly what I'm saying. He saw their value separate of their actions. As we close out here today, we're going to turn to the book of John chapter 8, and I just want to read verses 1 through 11. 
And maybe you've read this, maybe you've heard this. I encourage you, see this through a fresh set of eyes. Hear this through the heart and the love of Jesus. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And when, they, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want to point your attention to something. That while everybody stood accusing her, when Jesus rightly could have accused her according to the law, here's what he did. He remained silent. There was not a word that he spoke. Why? Because to condemn her would crush her. Think about this. Think about the ridicule that this woman found herself in. She's been dragged before all the people in the square, in the temple. She's already ridiculed. She's belittled. She's embarrassed. She's ashamed. And she's rightly to be condemned. This is what she expects. And when the teacher, the master, Jesus himself, when he does respond and say something, here's his response. Any of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. What does that tell us about Christ? That while everybody else saw the worthlessness of her act, Jesus saw the person that she was worth redeeming. Jesus saw the value in her. You know, in relationships, many times, we look at it based upon our needs, our wants, our desires, their failures, their shortcomings, where they lack. What if we approached relationships from the value of a person? There are so many people today that walk in life with their held with their head held high, but their heart trampled. 
they looked apart, they might even act apart. Hey, I was that person hurting and acting like I had it together. How you doing, Jose? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm great. And I wasn't. See, I didn't understand my own value. And then God began to surround me with men, with women, with people that didn't see me based on my actions. As a matter of fact, when I did fall short, the last thing they did was pointed out to me. Think about how Jesus loves. Think about how God loves. The Bible says he holds no records of wrong, but if we look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that what he did was for yesterday, today, and forever. God removed the stain of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that we just excuse or that we uh, enable people in our relationships to just continue doing what they do. But instead of just beating them down with their fault, why not point out to them their value? Why not encourage somebody, hey, that's not what you're worth. See, when we look at the worth, the value of people through the eyes of God, here's what we then do when we approach them in love. We build them. We encourage them. God hasn't given up on you and I. That should serve as an encouragement to us. Are we looking and approaching our relationships from the value of a person or simply their actions? The best candidates for relationship in God's eyes aren't picked based on their actions. They're picked based on the value that God placed on them. The price he paid for us all.